Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. I am joined in this edition by our regular snarker, <laughs> and today my co-host, uh, Mr. Trey Calloway. Yes. Thank you so much for being a part of this one. I uh, could not be more happy to be a part of this one in particular. Can you explain to people who maybe are listening to this, I have a feeling that most of the people listening to this episode we're kind of preaching to the choir. We mm-hmm. don't have to give them a lot of setup. I but hope can you, so. Can you explain to anyone who's checking out this episode because they find it intriguing uh, why we are so excited to be talking to this man? Well, yes. Uh, for starters, one of the things that first bonded you and I as mutual snarkers is uh, is that we have a lot of uh, common overlap in terms of our taste in music. Mm-hmm. But most of those are, are really big bands that – most pe- people have heard of, right? Yeah. So whether it's Electric Light Orchestra. Which is kind of what we first discovered was a, a mutual obsession. That's correct. ELO or, or uh, I think we're both fans of Cheap Trick. Yeah. Um, you know, Power Pop in general Absolutely. Uh, is, a, is a comfort zone for both Th- of us. That, as the kids say, is my jam. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> sorry. Yes. I apologize. Yeah, that's we really, could start this over and yeah, or just delete cut that. that. Okay. Um, at any rate... Um, uh, there is also, as we discovered over time and in snarking together, there is also a band which we d- both deeply love that most people have not heard of. Again, accepting those uh, loyal fans who are hopefully listening right now. Yeah. And that band is Jellyfish. Right. And it was a, it's not a seminal band necessarily, but it is a band that put out two records officially. And it does have. A, a, a fan base that is as rabid as mm. any other mm-hmm. band you can think of that mm-hmm. put out such a small output mm-hmm. and, and that to this day is still being discovered and mm. still being referenced as this incredible combination of songwriting and sound and imagery and humor mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and it also is a reflection of all those other bands that we loved that came before them yeah and i often say to people who have not uh, had the pleasure of listening to a jellyfish record it's it's a, it's also a they're a classic example of extraordinarily good product with extraordinarily bad timing. Yeah, we talk about that a little mm. bit with Roger, and this is similar to if you watch the documentary about Big Star. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's kind of you know the the perfect storm of non perfect events <laughs> happening. Um, but the people who found them, that those two albums hold a very special place in their lives, mm-hmm. and they're they're highly listenable. I continue to go back to them all over again. Mm-hmm. I have given them to my son, Same. who has found. The same joy in listening to them and, mm. and, and sees the influences, but also recognizes just the incredible level of craftsmanship that they put into it. And one of the most powerful parts of Jellyfish, not to mention other bands, is Mr. Roger Joseph Manning Jr. Yes, co-founder of that band, and he went on to work on a number of his own 
individual and solo projects mm-hmm. that include? Uh, well, first of all, he's an incredible um, session player. So he's he's worked with Beck for the better part of the last 20 years as a keyboardist and vocalist and collaborator. He worked with Eric Clapton, uh, Glenn Campbell, Johnny Cash, Blink-182, Cheap Trick, uh, Morrissey, the band Air, uh, just an extraordinary amount of music. Uh, as a contributing musician uh, in other people's projects. And then also he was a part of a band called Imperial Drag and uh, an effort called the Moog uh, Cookbook <laughs> and TV Eyes. Um, just an incredibly prolific, deeply talented, and and wonderfully sensitive artist who I feel like we were prev- privileged to get to sit down with. And not only that, uh, invited into his home mm-hmm. and <laughs> literally around his kitchen table, mm-hmm. which is why you may hear... Not the most pristine sound recording, so we will apologize for that. But we did hire Bob Clear Mountain to do the mastering. Is he still alive? I don't know. I don't know. But even if it doesn't sound that great, it felt like we got to go to the musical equivalent of Wonka's Factory. Yes. It was an amazing house in a very funky part of L.A. Just a delightful and introspective and genuinely like spiritual mm-hmm. guy as, when it comes to you know music and uh, very humble at the same time mm-hmm. um, and seems to really continue to value the fact that people have embraced his music over these several decades and boy what a great conversation here here so how about we hear hear it I think oh <laughs> see I see what you did there uh, yeah <laughs> let's go. I want to be fully transparent. We're here with Roger Joseph Manning Jr. Just showed him the fact that Trey Calloway, my uh, sometimes co-host, and I are both wearing ELO shirts. This is correct. I don't. We shouldn't be embarrassed about that. But it's we're not. To me, it seems oddly appropriate because uh, while Jeff Lynn is is uh, arguably my musical god. Uh, Roger Joseph Manning Jr. <laughs> would definitely be at his right foot or hand or whatever. So he's part. He's part of the court. Yes. is what you're saying. Uh, yes, I so. can be one of the little cherubs floating above him. <laughs> and, and some uh, Roger, you know, we're going to attempt. Can we call you Roger, or should yeah, we call you Mister Joseph Manning Jr.? Uh, no, no, no. Okay. <laughs> we, uh, we're going to attempt not to be fawning fans here because yes. we do. Ha- <laughs> we have the ability to carry a, an intelligent conversation about music and your art and that sort of thing. But we are goofball fans at the same time. We're grown up adult men and we're wearing freaking ELO t shirts here. Yes. So yes. you kind of get it, right? I absolutely get it. Uh, within the last two weeks alone, I got to be goofball fan to both Gary Newman and Elvis Custom and you Steve go. Naive, uh, meeting all of them. For the first time, yeah, uh, and and um, uh, Kamal, uh, one of the main actors on Silicon Valley, I don't mm-hmm. remember his last Kamal name. Kamal Nanjani, yeah. There you go. Uh, got to meet him completely accidentally, and uh, uh, you know, because that's one of the few shows I just watch in um, binge looping. It's not. It's <laughs> right. not even like, yeah, oh, right. I've seen it five times. I just have it on. <laughs> Let's watch it again. <laughs> watch it the whole time. It just keeps me in such a good mood. So that's you awesome. have the ability still to be. The super fan. Oh guy. God, yes, and I and I got to meet uh, film composer uh, Mark Isham too. Oh, another yeah. 
major influence on me, particularly his early works before he started doing film composing uh-huh. and stuff. Anyway. Yeah. Um, no, no, no. So that's, I mean. I get it. I'm always flattered. It never gets old. <laughs> okay, 25 good. years after my first band broke up. <laughs> good. Well. And we're going to want to cover like the spectrum of, of what you've been working on. I mean, our gateway, of course. Well, that's not entirely true. I will tell you my origin story with you. Because I'm a radio guy, I go back to doing Top 40 through the 80s, and I was a music director in Sacramento. Oh, huh. And uh, Sacramento, not a huge market, but the station was influential enough that I was getting a little wind and done, and they were taking, you know, trying to get us to play records. But we were straight ahead Top 40. And one day, a label guy says, hey, come on down to the parking lot. I've got this band that wants to, I want to introduce you to. Um, so I think, uh, the band was traveling around in like a camper or an RV or something. Mm. They pulled out a bunch of instruments, played acoustically in the parking lot. And that was beat Nick beach. Wow. Nice. There were two things about that moment. I remember, I really, really liked these songs. We're never going to play these songs on the radio. <laughs> yeah. um, I saw that pattern. <laughs> uh, but but I snagged the free promotional cassette, which I have to this oh, day. Nice. Oh, nice. And it wasn't until, I mean, I must have had the first Jellyfish album for a year before I, stu- I kind of made the connection. You know, internet, not that available, not that kind of, but I saw those names and I was like, why do I know? It took me forever. <laughs> sure. And then I finally connected you guys as being part of that band so um anyway so that's that was kind of my first connection to you i remember you playing a keyboard you guys did not look happy to be in a parking lot in sacramento <laughs> <laughs> uh but that i mean that was part of the way the business was then you went out you had a label telling you you got to go play in parking lots at radio stations and uh, it was just part of the deal then right sure uh, it was the old the old model yeah mm-hmm. pre pre-internet basically you you uh tried to generate attention through whatever means. And there were lots of tried and true methods, like basically showing up unannounced and going, look, we've got talent. Want to see it? Yeah, <laughs> you know? right, right. And uh, to, to pull the attention out of whatever, you know, because it was still bombardment. You guys, the radio was thrown so much stuff that they had to digest and have some kind of filtering mechanism for what was going to work for them. And then not to mention whatever encouragement and um, muscle in its various forms they were getting from the record company. Right. You know. Well, it was just one of the first uh, number of circumstances where I was able to walk away from my job with stuff I knew we'd never play, but that would be part of my collection forever. And that <laughs> includes Crowded House and Jellyfish mm. and some of those other things. Yeah. Go ahead. Trey. We were talking about Jellyfish uh, earlier, just about, there was something about, like, I was, I was certainly aware of the band but there was something about spilt milk that right off the bat not to tell um judging book by its cover stories but there was something about the cover art that immediately before i'd heard a single song right. from it that spoke to me i don't know if it was lucky charms i don't know if it was <laughs> yeah again it was a promotional cassette i yeah. picked it up and said i think i'm gonna like this based on the font and the design that's strange and it turned out to be so i mean there was a concept about that band that seemed pretty fully formed. Well, I don't, I don't think it's strange at all huh. uh, that anybody would have a reaction. It could be a, you know, a not so positive reaction as well. But the whole point was that we were super conscious of these things in an era where we found a lot of our peer group, um, you know, uh, a lot due to, to punk rock and stuff where it's all about, you know, or, or bands like REM or, or the singer songwriter genres, like it's all about the content. 
Yeah, first and foremost. But we grew up in an era of really flamboyant, um, interesting packaging. And so the whole album experience as kids for us was um, paramount. Uh, whether it was getting lost in the album art, reading the liner notes, um, the posters or booklets that were included. I mean, it went on and on. <clears throat> when our generation came of age, we were in a period of kind of post-punk where that was a lot less fashionable. Mm -hmm. So we, from the get-go, post-Beatnik Beach, we were all about, oh my God, I can't believe we've been given a second chance <laughs> on a major label. Mm -hmm. Right. We're going to do this our way or no way at all because we have to live with ourselves. And part of that was this very um, elaborate, hopefully enticing packaging that, that, that really correlated, you know, whether it was the, the videos, our, our appearance, the stage presentation, the whole theater aspect to it. That's usually not the band thinking about those things necessarily. Some, you know, most bands, it's interesting you say that because lots of times that stuff is placed on you from labels and executives and uh, you're just like i just want to do my my art man but yeah. you guys really did look at this as the full package absolutely yeah. i mean you know we may have been influenced by uh, classic singer songwriters in, in, a, in, a, in that sense of the word you know um whether it was carol king or burt Bacharach or elvis costello bob dylan whoever but we're also just as much a product of of the hypnosis album art generation and sure, uh, right, right. the band Kiss and even Guar and progressive rock and all the all the theatrical aspects and just you know that whole era of seventies uh, album oriented rock where it was like kids weren't swapping singles kids were making cassettes of each other's albums or loaning each other albums. Turn off the lights, turn on the black light poster. Yes. I wasn't, you know, my parents monitored me really closely, so there was no weed in the picture, but a lot of kids taking a few bong hits and getting lost in the album experience. Um, or, or not ingesting anything and going, wow, this is trippy, man. Yeah, it was, yeah, it was, yeah. It was, it was aural uh, intoxicants. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, one of the things I, my younger brother loved about progressive rock, he couldn't articulate it, but bands like Yes and Genesis and those great. Uh, pioneers of that of that genre was you could get lost completely lost in these environments within 20 to 30 minutes in your bedroom regardless of whatever suburb you grew up in level of affluence whatever the circumstances were in your family you was like you know the rush albums too all, yeah, all that kind yeah, of right. album oriented stuff we have had this discussion. Uh, we've got the ELO shirts on. Yeah. I've told Trey the stories that I have this super distinct memory of strapping headphones on so I could listen to ELOs out of the blue as loud as I could. Mm -hmm. You've got these amazing melodies, these harmonies, and spaceships, and the <laughs> double album, Gatefold, beautiful right, art. Right. I mean, 15-year-old boy, what else do I need? You well, know? Right. Because uh, I stare at that yeah. for the entire four sides of the thing. Exactly. Because you're, and what would happen is you uh, were invited, well, if you were attracted to the music at all, or, or the album art, something would suck you in, and basically the rest was up to your imagination. Yeah, yeah. And when you, that, that's an aspect, getting lost in your imagination uh, is an aspect of self-discovery. Who am I? What am I like? What am I drawn to? What makes me feel good in my body? What doesn't? Yeah. What attracts me? What repels me? Um, as opposed to uh, the TV always telling you uh, what to buy, what you should like. Of course, we grew up with advertising. You know, of course, we grew up with media onslaught. But um, I, f I find uh, recent generations are kind of showing up as blank slates, zero opinion. And it's like, 
tell me what tell me what to go buy. Tell yeah. me what I'm supposed to like. Yeah, yeah. I uh, sold um, a collection of vinyl recently to a uh, major used uh, record store here in town, and the seller and I talked about the actual deal for about ten minutes. But we talked about sociology and philosophy of record buyers <laughs> of the last 50 years for 45 minutes. Right, because yeah. you'd both been impacted. In that both way. been impacted, and he does it on a daily basis. And he was telling me everything from baby boomers buying habits to Gen X, my generation, buying habits, to millennials, to the whatever the one before them are now called. And it was so fascinating. I learned volumes in just that. Yeah. You know, I think it just speaks to your... You know, you were talk. We were talking before about your idea of the the three minute pop song. Oh yeah, yeah. Right. Look, I mean, I look. Okay, so I'm a television showrunner. So I'll yeah. spend I'll spend days and weeks conceiving of an idea with rooms full of writers, and then uh, you know, weeks more on stages or locations, and then and then we are given this grand gift of being able to share an hour of television with several million people. But then, uh, almost as quickly as it's aired, generally, even the greatest television series ever made are, are relatively quickly forgotten. It's a, it tends to be a pretty temporary art form. Yet, I am endlessly envious of the power that a three-minute pop song has to bore into people's brains. And not just bore into their brains, but like really become uh, uh, instantly and permanently attached to an emotional, a very powerful emotional experience. I, I just don't think I'm ever going to be able to pull that off in an hour <laughs> of whatever kind of drama I'm writing. You know, for me, you know, okay, so so yeah, picking up that spilt milk album, uh, it it instinctively felt like a golden ticket to me, <laughs> right? And that's that's what it was. And I've shared it with so many people over the years, and I'm always trying to make this case of like, look, okay. You may not have heard of them, but like if, 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 if the Beatles and Queen and the Carpenters and Andrew Gold and Fleetwood Mac and Steely Dan and ELO and Sweet. Keep and going. The My Partridge head's going to explode. And, yes. and Badfinger and XTC and the Beach Boys, if they all got together and had a baby, it would be called Jellyfish. But, but since then, having listened to and enjoyed uh, so much of your solo music, it all has that same quality. Um, but I was telling him, you know... Um, if you'll allow me to geek out for a minute, as a fan, you know, I have this indelible memory of my first child, my daughter Clementine. Her first favorite song was Sabrina Paste and Play-Doh. <laughs> because today is the day Sabrina built her sandwiches and chips for all the shoulders. Lunch is on the table, soon dessert is on the floor. I'm sure you never had imagined anything like this kind of experience when you were writing those songs when you were part of this. But f for her, I, I have this constant memory of her being in a car seat in the back seat of my car and the two of us singing that song together, right? And it's a great example. Like if, to me, it's like, a, 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 in all the best ways, it's a classic Warner Brothers cartoon. Because, <laughs> it, 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 you know, in terms of its melody, in terms of the, the, the architecture of the song, it was instantly likable for a child. Um, and yet it's also lyrically subversive in all these adult ways, right? Um, but it's just, 
to this day, that song can come on and, and the two of us are instantly transported somewhere. Right. And I'm not sure I'll ever be able to accomplish that. So kudos to you. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. But you must understand a, a little bit. You seem like a very thoughtful, introspective guy about you're just not doing this for fun. This really music means something to you and you understand that it means something to people. You have, here's two grown men in here talking about a band that put out two albums decades ago do you understand why that three minute pop song bores in that way why it's not just nostalgia there's something deeper there right uh well i have endless philosophies around it Um, talk for two hours we'll we'll just listen (laughs) yeah no no Uh, and and the challenge is that it's entirely subjective yeah Yeah. so as much as i say this is how it is of course it may be that way for the three of us and not for a fourth person who might enter this conversation but there is a common experience because it is powerful no matter what it is it's very all people have this about certain songs bringing back certain memories certain times in their lives and it's again i don't think it's just nostalgia that's too simple no so this is of all these genres of music that i enjoyed growing up you know from uh the most nihilistic punk rock um to the most cinematic uh music and jazz i a lot of jazz training in my youth and stuff and still love it uh the three and a half minute pop song that was, you know, what raised me on radio um, was the format that my partner Andy and I decided we wanted to specialize in, or more specifically that we wanted to carry on in a tradition of, in spite of whatever trends were amongst us generationally or what were popular or not. Um, and so lo and behold, when our first album came out, it was the height of hair metal so we couldn't have been more off the beaten path. <laughs> right. And by the time Spilt Milk come out, came out, uh, heavy metal had been de- dethroned, and punk rock part two in the form of grunge had yeah. come into existence. And again, we couldn't have been more uh, Literally the, the polar opposite in We always used to yeah. joke that we were the most punk rock thing going on at the time. That's so true. Because we were <laughs> just being true to ourselves right. and not following zero commercial trends. Um, and uh, both, you know, both visually and, and musically. But so... I the, the greatest uh, drug I've ever experimented with has been uh, music. In other words, why does it bury itself so deeply into my soul? And and when the song is finished, why do I crave it like crack? Right. Yeah, right. right. And so as I mean, a, again, uh, it's and it's the song's not going to change. There might be live versions or there might be other mixes, but the song's always going to be the same. Yeah. I mean, I yeah. look, I work at K Earth. Yeah, uh, <laughs> we are playing songs. You that specialize, people, in right? <laughs> and, and but it's. I also see it being shared with different generations, too. I mean, we've got 40-plus, 50-plus. We've got 20-somethings enjoying it just as much, Tribal. which only tells you a good song is a good song, period. Well, and, and, th- and thank God. I have a very <laughs> fond memory in my formative years. I was 20 years old, living in Pasadena, stuck in traffic on the 134, trying to get home from a job I despised. <laughs> uh, had it on K-Earth because... At that point, I was enjoying how K-Earth was surprising me with a bunch of 60s music I didn't know. Yeah. Mm. I thought I knew all the classic Motown stuff and rock, and I would hear stuff I didn't know. So I was hearing kink songs. I, did, I remember I came home one day, and back-to-back was um, Incense and Peppermints uh, and um, So Tired by the Kinks. Yeah. And I was singing at the top of my lungs, just feeling so much joy after an exhausting day yeah. of a shitty uh, office job. And and just feeling this life affirmation, um, and and not uh, being too harsh on myself that I was deriving such fulfillment from music that was 
you know, not my generation. It was, it was coming from this other time, and yet it felt timeless to me. And it, it, these, the messaging to me was classic songwriting is timeless. And if it makes you uh, feel repeatedly uh, elated and gratified or, or some kind of powerful emotion, ideally it will for the listener too. So Andy and I, we ca- had this agreement. Uh, we were both very prolific, and we'd bombard each other with unfinished ideas. But if it didn't pass the kind of timeless test, if it didn't pass, you know, let's let's sit on this one. So we'd sing it into our cassette deck. Well, if three, four weeks later, one of us is coming back going, can you remember this idea? I think it really supersedes these others for this reason. And if the partner agreed, we would develop it further. And that's the songs you have on these two records. Um, and that's all I ever wanted to give the listener was the same. Literally, if I, if I finished a song with my partner or by myself that made me feel a certain way over and over again, I went, ooh, I gave myself that fix. Yeah, yeah. Ideally, that's, gonna, that's, that's a real good sign. It'll give others that same fix. Um, and that's what I continue to try to do to this day. And, and when I play on other people's records or assist and uh, collaborate with other people. That's what I try to bring to the table. But I was very fortunate in the Jellyfish uh, realm and certainly in Imperial Drag, the band after that. This was the goal. Always. Don't care what trends are going on. Can we write classic three-and-a-half-minute sing-along, emotionally moving pop? Um, well, those efforts, uh, they, they continue to shine through. I, the, all of your solo work, the, the Land of Pure Imagination and, and Catnip Dynamite, the latest uh, glamping. here is to make sure people know about glamping and also (laughs) talk about your pledge music uh and the progress that that's made since you announced it back in may uh but yeah continue your thoughts no i just for for me um i don't i think of it as artisanal pop yeah uh uh in that same way you go to like if you can imagine going to the best farmer's market uh, you know, where all the best wines and cheeses and baked goods are. And then there's, there's a stall at the end that where Roger Joseph Manning Jr. sits. And, uh, and, and that it's, it's that attention to detail. It is, uh, it is clearly the talent, uh, painstakingly hard work. And also, uh, at the, uh, at the risk of sounding really schmaltzy, which, you know, I'm a sap, mm-hmm. uh, there's the love is always omnipresent in your work, um, all the way up to and through glamping. Yeah, thank you. Positive joy and 
there's nothing sin. I guess no cynicism. Maybe. I mean, I, I you can be irreverent and you can be satirical, but never cynical. And yet, you don't strike me as a cynical person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no. I've been fighting. So cynicism it's never going to be reflected. <laughs> I, I fight cynicism and apathy like anybody. Yeah. Uh, well, I don't so, know that it, anybody does. I don't think everybody does. Oh, well, I think some, I mean, <laughs> some of the music genres we talked about embrace uh, yeah, cynicism. Yeah. Uh, true. True. Um, uh, it is um, definitely a goal to. Um, uh, you know, my the, my collaborators, we've always had a standard, and we, we've always kind of been, well, why are we doing this? And certainly, my God, we've been given an opportunity to do this. These This door is open, this door is open. <clears throat> if we're not going to try to continue to uh, build upon, improve, not improve is the wrong word, but uh, continue to match the greatness of and push the uh, boundaries of the genre as any of our heroes that, that made us endure any of the challenges we do in, in getting our art developed and heard any sacrifice an art, artist makes for that. And, um, you know, it was really, uh, a big deal to, uh, see another Elvis Costello show two weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Um, we shared the same stage and fortunately our schedules allowed me to watch his whole set. And he was one of the guys, for example, that Andy and I shared as just like, that's, you know, one of the markers. If we can come somewhere in that realm, we're doing good. Mm -hmm. And part of that is clearly an artist who was doing it on his own terms from from the get-go. Maybe not that first album, but immediately on the second one. And has never wavered from that, right? And to see him uh, perform a lot of his classics... You know, and 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 value um, the spontaneity and reinterpreting them, not doing them just like the album, and really actually executing them like a jazz musician. It's just going to whatever is moving him that evening. That's what you're going to get. Um, it's it's such a um, it's such a bygone era uh, in terms of generation and, and genre trends, and it's just that that level of craftsmanship uh, and, and uh, being an entertainer or. Um, just seems less valued or it's, 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 it's valued so differently that it doesn't look like right. some of these icons we're talking about. Right? Well, it can, you know, one of the things that I keep going back to, I've heard Elvis in an interview talk about one of his big influences as a kid. And of course we're talking about BBC radio and, mm-hmm. and kind of the, the way that certain types of music were doled out at different times a day. They really were very limited. He talked about Bing Crosby being this huge influence on him. And, my initial reaction is what? <laughs> and then, but then you listen to his slow songs, and he's a crooner, and it's like, yeah. oh shit, Elvis. It's that timeless quality he's yeah. talking about, and and also he's influenced because his dad was also um, a performer. That he was coming at it from again a complete package. It was like, how is this going to present itself visually? Who am I going to be visually? How does what does the band look like? And how do we how do we put this out there? And I need to put on a show when I go out live. It's not just playing songs for, for people. It's actually a show. Yeah. And that showmanship. So I'm trying to think. I mean, it it is kind of become less about that, um, unless you have some great lighting design guy or something <laughs> you rely on. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, Beck, you just came off the road with Beck. I mean, Beck is somebody who is maybe not the most gregarious person in the world, but he really, like puts energy into what he does that's oh, a yeah. good fit right for you yeah it's well he's it's one of the reasons i've i've 
been so committed to supporting his vision for over 20 years now. Yeah. Um, because we should uh, say, uh, Roger, if for people who don't know, you know, if you're listening to this, uh, he's <laughs> been the, the touring keyboardist for like 22 years for him, right? Yeah. Off and on. Yeah. Yeah. And, and have made at this point, uh, five or six records with him well, that's a key collaboration yeah and uh you know uh <clears throat> when i became a fan and then had the opportunity to audition it was um you know there it was here was a guy who was basically exempl- exemplifying everything that i valued in in pop craftsmanship and the whole package like you said and and uh so i was very eager to see well What's it look like when he does it? Mm-hmm. You know, to right. be a fly on the wall in, in his world, um, observe someone else's craftsmanship. Yeah, and and how can I support it uh, and contribute it to making it that much more comprehensive and flushed out? How was that bowl show? Was that the first time you've been in the bowl, or uh, second time I second played time. the bowl, but first time with Beck? Ah. Yeah, we did a Serge Gainsbourg tribute in 2011. Oh, I was fantastic. part of the, uh, the house band for that, which was just a <laughs> oh, whole other <laughs> level of amazing genius. Um, the Hollywood Bowl show went really well because uh, it, it really felt like a hometown show, even though mm-hmm. it was so, so giant. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he really had the audience in the palm of his hand. He, he took a lot of time to speak to them and engage with them and thank them heart to heart. It was just incredible. I want to ask you about that because if I'm not mistaken, I know he and I both went to USC. I'm on the faculty uh, at SC now, but uh, I think you were a student there as well. Yes, yeah? that's right. So True. I wanted to ask you, uh, in terms of the narrower focus, what what your trust me they don't they don't pay me enough on the faculty to uh, <laughs> to uh, uh, <laughs> to just uh, shower them with flowery praise. But I, I I would I'm curious to know what that experience was like for you and if it was beneficial to you musically and how, and then on the, on the, on the, on the broader scale as an LA musician, I'd be interested in hearing how you may or may not be or feel inspired by Los Angeles in your music. Absolutely. I'll try to make this concise. So, (laughs) um, I got accepted to quite a few good music schools, uh, some more, you know, hip or jazz oriented muso ones such as Berkeley and, um, uh, North Texas State, um, University of Miami, blah, blah, blah. A lot of scholarship offerings and so forth. At the end of the day, what I realized was is that um, I wanted to expose myself to as many musical avenues as possible. So as much as I love jazz, it was really hard for me to imagine being the next Chick Corea or Herbie Hancock, right. where you kind of got this 1% of the cream of the crop that somehow have managed to sustain a living for themselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the rest of the brilliant, unbelievably amazing jazz artists out there are starving. And that's just always, that's always been the nature of the genre, except maybe in the 40s and early 50s yeah. or something, right? <laughs> right, where, right, right? Where jazz was actually hip in college. Mm-hmm. Like if you knew all your, you know, Jerry Mulligan and all your cats, uh, <laughs> Chet, Chet Baker and all these people, that was cool. The, ooh, the girls were impressed. You know, oh, your, wow. jazz, you know your jazz stars. Uh, that, that worked. A, yeah. <laughs> that, that was Boy, a, fle- I, a fleeting moment. I in, totally uh, missed that. Pop culture time, right. Okay. Have you seen Star Wars? It's really good. Yeah. <laughs> I went the wrong way. <laughs> yeah, well. So, um, and I had family roots in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. So going to the East Coast seemed like visiting Mars and trying to... Uh, there, there was uh, there was an apprehension to it. It felt very weird and foreign to me. Uh, and my family actually took a summer vacation over there. And I remember experiencing Boston in the heat of the summer oh. with all the mugginess <laughs> and everything. I was like, this place is gross. <laughs> I'm like, oh, my God, I can't imagine starting a new life here, if yeah, you will, right. you know, establishing musical roots. <clears throat> the thing I 
was allured by Los Angeles was everything was going on here. And literally, I knew there was a jazz community. Um, there was certainly a, a scoring community, which fascinated me at the time, film, TV, music, um, and uh, punk rock and post-punk rock and all the kind of youth culture music was very, very vibrant. The club scene was so vibrant here. <clears throat> and I had enjoyed some of that in San Francisco, and had kind of my appetite was, uh, um, you know, I was enticed to see, mm-hmm. well, what's, what's the even bigger city about? So it made sense to all the everything lined up. Now going to USC, I, if you had told me I was going to end up at some you know Orange County Republican <laughs> yeah, right. uh, stronghold, I would have laughed in your face. Um, the jazz program was just getting started, so they they had a lot to develop. The uh, cl- and you had to audition classically. I got excited. I, I was interested in all the basic theory classes and all the, the GE for music. Mm-hmm. I knew that was always going to serve me. And if I had my dad's money to spend all over again, I probably would have become a composition major. Mm-hmm. I think the training would have, well, I, I know it would have helped me more than being a performance major. And hindsight's twenty twenty, I probably, I could have maybe even blown all that off and just been a philosophy major. <laughs> oh, wow. Um, with a minor in business. Okay. Because um, all musicians graduate in deficit with not enough business sense. I don't care what music school you go to. Unless you minor in business or a philosophy um, or some kind of communications, you you don't know how to manage money. You have no appreciation for the capitalistic model and what it means to you to sustain your art right. for more than just a few years after you get out of school. Right. Um, just basic stuff. Uh, a lot of that was instilled by my well-meaning father who pleaded me not to major in music, and I uh, refused to listen to him, uh, which is fine. <laughs> but... Um, I think all of his kind of economics major banking sense uh, rubbed off on me because unlike, unlike a lot of my peers, I've been able to manage finances um, in spite of how small they've been over the years, right? You stretch money out and then when it all comes in, you tuck it away and you save it for a rainy day and all that stuff. And um, that's a skill I very much value. So back to your original question. So at, at SC... Uh, it became that trial ground for me. I got exposed to a lot of stuff. And one of the things I realized was I wasn't too excited by scoring after all. Interesting. Um, I appreciated it, and I appreciated the emotional conveyance of it mm-hmm. and the immense arranging skills that one needs for that. That appealed to me. And I tried to become uh, as good an arranger as I could. Um, recording arts I dabbled in, didn't care for it. <clears throat> and... Again, in my father's chagrin, uh, what I determined after four years of college was, while I was young, all I wanted to do was jump around on stage like a lunatic performing original music. (laughs) And uh, because I had met people in their late 30s, 40s, and 50s who were now looking back on their musical life going, if I had only, Mm -hmm. if I had only, if I had only. And I didn't want to be 40 years old going, if I had only. So I'm like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go for broke, and then I can at least, if, if things didn't work out to some grand vision, I can at least go, well, I tried. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I gave yeah. it the old college mm-hmm. try, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And L.A. and S.C. were the perfect setting for that. I got exposed to so many things and exposed myself to so many things. And all of that, you know, there's a local L.A. band here uh, that you would be familiar with called Red Cross, yeah. who were mm-hmm. very important uh, in Los Angeles punk and post-punk. Well, they were one of my first loves on the local scene. Um, and I, I've told them to their face many times, you know, Jellyfish would not exist if I had not brought what I learned from you guys oh, to, wow. to the band Jellyfish. Wow. 
as much as crowded house, as much as anything else going on at the time. And, um, uh, <clears throat> LA, uh, introduced me to so many musicians through the recycler trade papers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, I would go and I would go and meet with total strangers. Well, what are you listening to? What do we have in common? What I met Jason Faulkner, one of my longtime collaborators in the recycler. Oh, wow. Because he listed four influences that I thought were cool. He lived in this little place way on the other side of town called Agoura Hills that I'd never even heard of. <laughs> and lo and behold, I went to visit him, and it was just like the suburb I'd grown up in, <laughs> up in Northern California. It looked like a Spielberg movie. Yeah, right. right. Poltergeist or right. E.T. or something. Spielbergia, they call it. Spielbergia. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, what were the four? You know, uh, Jason and I have talked about this. It was Joe Jackson, David Bowie, XTC, and I think, oh, Blue Nile. Oh wow. wow! Yeah, which was the which was the obscure weirdo one. So yeah, like, right, if you yeah. knew who Blue Wild was, Blue Nile was, I'll let you into my house. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> and um, and we should say, uh, you guys just both got off the Beck tour recently. Yes. Like, yeah, that's right. Playing together, that, the closest yeah. we'll get to a jellyfish reunion, mm-hmm. probably. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, um, I'm, yeah, L.A. I felt I felt felt safe in, in spite of whatever. You know, I I would go to Al's bar. And just Such soak it all, place. soak it all in. Yeah, afraid that my car was going to get stolen. Uh-huh. But a justifiable fear. Yeah, but you, you, these are things you you just don't put as much emphasis on when you're under twenty five. Right. Mm-hmm. It also kind of makes it exciting, frankly. Yeah, 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 yeah. It in living era. on the edge. Yeah. Right. You know, you're talking about your education. Kind of leads me to what you're doing now. I've got a son who's actually navigating that he's living in new york he's working on a new project a new band project so i'm kind of watching him navigate a world that's very very different than when i was a music director and you were playing a parking lot in sacramento i mean but and and we've watched you adapt i mean you talk about how you were a little more cognizant of working on your finances you know you have done so many great projects over the years and built up this kind of extremely loyal fan base we're here we are examples of it uh but nothing that's broken wide open to the point of kind of like a superstardom level but you've been a working musician writer composer singer hired gun whatever you've managed to be a musician all this time and you've embraced kind of this new direction with the the pledge music thing can you Mm. can you talk about that a little bit because that is one of the ways working musicians sustain themselves now in a way that never existed when you were first kind of breaking into the business. Yeah, basically, uh, you know, being directly connected to the audience. Yeah. Now, I was able to enter... And again, being in you know, control of what you present. Yeah, yeah, more in control, exactly. So so um, for someone like me who has some kind of calling card, some kind of reputation, there are people who are going to pay attention, or at least their curiosity is going to be, uh, you know, they're going to be interested in something new I might have to say by virtue of some familiarity. So uh, a fan-funding model like Pledge works ideally for me. Now, this first campaign was a colossal experiment, and I'm still uh, working. I mean, the initial campaign has uh, come to a close, but I'm doing. I'm continuing to f- fulfill fan experiences and engagements and, and this stuff and um, learning as I go. Would you consider it a success for your first time? Yeah, o- overall, it it surpassed my expectations. Really, that's great. Uh, Good. There are there are a handful of snags and things that I won't go into that I couldn't have foreseen, um, but it's still well. Let's just say I'm excited to look what round two looks like uh, because of it. And it's reminded me that um, 
if you exercise some more business sense on the fan interaction side, you can continue to nurture an audience and ideally expand it, um, which is exciting at this time in my life. So does that mean, uh, I ask this question delicately, does that mean we have more tracks anytime soon to look forward to via <laughs> Pledge Music? Well, why sure, so delicately? Well, are just you, because I Roger, know. are you doing anything else? God damn it! No, because yeah, yeah. because it always it. it's like it, it, this is a man who takes his time. It's no. always worth the wait. You're right. But you're right. right. Actually, we're actually, not discouraging in any way, and we're not pushing either. No, no, no. You know, uh, that, talking about that that pragmatic, practical side to me, uh, it's not about that. I take my time. Um, there are so many other life things. Yes, and, of course. And from personal challenges to getting the bills paid. Mm-hmm that take my attention away from doing what is my absolute first and foremost joy, realizing my own original music. It's, all, it's called life. We all it's have called life. life. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So um, I can tell you for a fact that uh, myself and two of my uh, partners from the Spilt Milk era of Jellyfish, Eric Dover and Tim Smith, we have a unnamed project um, with 12 songs that are well in the works right now. Fantastic. Ooh. So Ooh, that, that I'm, about I'm literally finished. tingling yes. over that. Yeah. Yes. That's my a, heart that's to be. And in terms of sound, well, it's the sound you all come to know and love because it's the three of us. Totally. Around, you know, uh, continuing to enjoy that uh, genre of writing. Um, I'm sitting on eight unfinished songs from this first glamping phase. So glamping was supposed to be a 12-song album, but it was taking me so long to complete the 12 songs, my mentor Jay Gilbert who'd done other pledge campaigns and is a fan himself said look man just finish four songs (laughs) get them out there and you know the model's different now you can get people excited about four songs and just when they've had their fill of those you'll be finished with the next four yeah Yeah, you have to get over this idea of the you know six songs on one side six songs on the other and and telling a story and having this complete my I'll mention my son again, just because, again, it's really interesting to see a young person navigating this. He's very influenced by what I played for him. He put out an album for his first major project. He did an EP and then an album. And he said he'll never do that again. And it's all about kind of now it's about putting out these things. and, And you don't have to have this kind of giant collection come out. It can still all be connected. It can still all have a through line. But people consume it differently now yeah. and people aren't sitting there on the floor with their headphones strapped on for you know an hour and 40 minutes listening all the way through anyway. yeah it's a different world and the response off glamping just again i have more communication with the fans but well how how's this new batch of material working for you um it's been just so amazing to uh get such direct feedback and um you know, it was worth the wait. I'm singing all these songs and the wait of taking my kids to school every morning with them. And that just, you know, that completely makes it for me. No, for the record, uh, just so you can hear it one more time, it is, <laughs> it is working really well. I mean, the, the four, e, the four song EP glamping for anybody listening who hasn't heard it yet, get it on pledge music. It's available for, I assume it's still available for download. Uh, so no, what's going on is because the campaign is now over, yeah. um, we're looking for a more traditional avenue okay. of, of pressing. So there is going to be a little interim before there will, will be All right. next available. All right. Take my word for it. When I tell <laughs> you, it's very, very good. These are four songs that uh, epitomize what you know and love about the music of Roger Joseph Manning Jr. Um, and email us at Snark Monkey if you would like uh, Trey to dub off a copy to cassette for no, you. I, I, never, to, I would never do that no, to Roger. Burn a CD for you. Um, well, I we're 
overstepping our bounds here and we feel like we could talk to you forever and you probably were thinking we were going to try um (laughs) anything else uh coming up in your future we should keep an eye out for besides creating your own music and again take your time whatever you need to do we'll we'll back (laughs) off uh any other uh projects you're going to be involved in are you off the road for a while back pretty much basically yeah this year and a half is kind of coming to a end so you Um, can unpack your boxes now Right. I can finally, <laughs> finally move into the lovely new home. Um, well, I, I continue to be invited to play on a ton of amazing uh, projects, uh, many of which are unknown artists, but uh, Morrissey invited me back. I'm on a new album by him. It just got, and it's an album of covers, which was really exciting. Oh, what? Yeah, so we played a Pretender song, Burt Bacharach. Um, uh, boy, on and on. Let's see. Um, trying to remember it's, it's all a blur alone. yeah i, I mean <laughs> already it's like there's men, oh, uh, morrissey singing back around yeah, man yeah are you a lot kidding? of good ones oh i can't wait all right uh this is the lightning round quick questions trey jump in anytime this is quick questions quick answers unless you have a really good story to tell <laughs> we'll see uh favorite movie all time favorite movie all time mm-hmm. yeah that's that's really hard Just um what first thing in your head okay uh beyond the valley of the dolls Ooh, Beyond the Valley Strong, of the Dolls. Strong pull. Sweet. Uh, favorite movie soundtrack of all time? Beyond the Valley. Yeah, of course. <laughs> I mean, there's I, some good songs on there. I knew but, that was uh, wow, favorite movie soundtrack of all time. <laughs> you know, I have these written down somewhere because everybody yeah. asks really? me, and I don't remember what it is. Uh, okay. Uh, that's a really good question. Um, you know, we were talking about. Uh, uh, Westerns? No, we were talking no? about Mark Isham earlier. Oh, Mark mm-hmm. Isham. Okay. Yeah, I love his uh, soundtrack to Never Quiet Wolf. And, and uh, Never Quiet Wolf. Fantastic. Oh, my God. Yeah. I love that movie. It's very, very Let movie. me jump in and ask one last one. No. Okay? It's not really, it doesn't require a fast answer, so okay. it kind of breaks your rules. Oh, fine. But it's just because it, your, I know that your music has brought so much joy and comfort to a lot of fans in a lot of ways, right? Just yesterday, I was hoping it would rain like everyone else in Los Angeles, <laughs> and so I had Wish It Would Rain in my head all day. <laughs> Right? But 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 what I want to ask you is, you know, from speaking for myself, uh, if I've been if I've been making TV shows all day long, the last thing I want to do is go home and turn on a one hour drama because I right. know all the tricks and I know <laughs> I, I overanalyze it. So I'll tend to gravitate towards some bit of uh, reality programming or mindless, or I'll pick up nonfiction instead of fiction because I've been storytelling all day. What? Can can you name any of the music that is your go-to music when you just need comfort and joy, and you you're, you've grown tired of your own process and you want to plug into something else that you know will be the feel good? Yeah, I mean, there's there's stuff that just doesn't seem to ever wear out for me, right? Right. So it can be things like uh, uh, XTC Black Sea album, mm-hmm. for example, Elvis Costello Imperial Bedroom. Uh, prefab sprout, uh, two wheels good. Oh, dude! I just, so <laughs> I just listened to that for the first time in a while the other day, and so it's good. top to bottom. Yeah, so one of those you records that I don't know that anybody but me and my roommate at USC yeah, knew yeah, about. Yeah, yeah. It was uh, so. Thank you for <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah. Uh, Thomas Dolby, Golden Age of Wireless. Mm-hmm. Oh yes. Um, and this is not discounting the other these other artists. No, of course not. stuff. This is kind of just the, the cream of the crop. Um, Todd Rundgren, Wizard of True Star, or the Tr- Todd album. Um, boy, I just keep going. Yeah, uh, yeah. But that gives you a good a good taste. Yeah. Um, well, good to know that you turn to it for comfort and joy the same way we do. Yeah. And, uh, yeah well, you know, it, it really, uh, not only is it comfort and joy, but it's a swift kick in the butt to never lose sight of of quality control. Mm-hmm. 
It's just like, come on, man, don't slack off. The, look, look what he, your fellow human beings did for crying yeah, out loud. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, no excuse. Oh, Steely Dan Asia. There you go. I mean, oh, beautiful. Like, just the one just keep going. Fleetwood Mac rumors. I'm mm-hmm. Just keep going. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I want to go. That's going to be my playlist now when we get out of here. I'm just going to take all those and do that. Uh, final two questions. Uh, favorite cereal from childhood? Oh, there were so many. <laughs> Boy, um, well, there was a rare, uh, short-lived cereal by uh, the Captain Crunch franchise. Yes. Uh-huh. And it was... Um, the uh, Jean Lafitte pirate cereal. Well, it was. It basically tasted like Quisp. Oh, I don't remember Quisp, Quisp, but yeah, but it was. It, a Quisp. it was Quisp. I don't remember what it was called wow. actually. Oh man! Now that it's been so long. All right, we'll okay. we'll go to the Google machine. Yes, we're going to yeah. do some research on this. Uh, final question. Uh, I'm contractually obligated to ask this because of my uh, overlords. Um, <laughs> have you ever, or would you ever consider if you haven't, were, or have you had an encounter with a monkey? Have a you monkey? ever worked with a monkey? Do oh. you hope to work with a monkey? Uh, have you had an encounter with a monkey? I think I've met several of them. I don't remember what the circumstances <laughs> were. I'm, I'm not talking about Peter Tork or Davy Jones or I'm talking oh, about actual monkeys. I don't understand the question. <laughs> have you ever Chips. had an encounter with if a monkey? If I could get them to edit uh, files on Pro Tools... <laughs> All the laborious uh, detailing. You know what? Uh, My son is available for extra work. <laughs> He's got to make a living somehow. Roger, uh, right. Trey uh, was able to tell his story, too. I, I, I mentioned my son only because he's real top of mind for me because uh, his mother and I are feeling great angst over sure. the pursuit that he's in. Mm-hmm. Um, but much like, oh, I'm going to get emotional. Uh, much like Trey, um, Alex was born... Um, I remember holding him and trying to get him, rocking him to sleep the first time. I put in the spilt milk CD and Hush begins to play. Wow. And I'm rocking him back and forth. And I, I stand there and listen to the entire CD staying in that position back and forth for the entire time and just like couldn't turn it up too loud because my wife was trying to nap and he was trying to sleep and enthralled with this music um he is a fan he is freaking out that i'm talking to you today that's amazing (laughs) you you and all the music you've done has influenced him heavily well um what what you need to know is what you have done has done the thing that that music has done that the, all that joy that has been brought to you you have done for us yeah, and well so that, many people yeah, that makes my that makes the rest of my year just hearing that and it, make, it makes all the uh, challenges whatever they may be so worth it it makes me want to keep going with all of it and just real quick you should know that uh, so my parents had three boys and letting each of them pursue their heart passion was probably the hardest thing any of them had to do, including me being the firstborn with me pursuing music. And believe me, they tried to be practical, like, do you really want to do this? And to the point of like, all right, guys, you either believe in me or you don't, right? Um, because they dissuaded me a lot. Uh, but real quick, so <laughs> my youngest brother, uh, they had the most challenges with. He did not do as well in school as me and my other brother. Um, just, you know, much more challenges. Um, they wanted to keep them on the straight and narrow, keep them on the straight and narrow. And finally they were like, you know what? We can't, we've done our best. We can't 
control his life. We have to let him be the person he's going to be. And whatever hard knocks happen are going to happen. Well, my youngest brother did not care for music. That's not where his heart was. He loved skateboarding. He loved snowboarding. And my dad and mom just threw up their hands. Oh, God, you know, what, what are we going to do? <clears throat> Including going to college up in Lake Tahoe just so he could snowboard. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, by age 23, he was on the K2 Pro snowboarding team. At 27, they retire their riders because they're getting too old. And they tried to put him behind a desk, and he said, uh, no, thank you. Started hanging out with the film guys in the film promotions department, taught himself filmmaking, and to this day is one of the most successful action filmmakers uh, of his community. He pulls twice as much money annually as me and my other brother. <laughs> Who were the guys that got the good, the better grades and were more of the straight and narrow, and my parents felt they didn't have to worry about. Uh-huh. And me and my brothers, both, we all do fine. And we're mostly working within fields that our heart is in, that we're passionate about. But I always love sharing that story because I can only imagine what trust and surrender and self-discipline it took on my parents' part to let him, allow him to be the person he was going to be. And trust that, that the skill set they gave him was going to serve him at least enough to get him from point A to point B. And the, you know, the rest took care of itself. That's what we're doing. That's what we're doing. Our, our, Godspeed, you know. gentlemen. Yeah. <laughs> Roger, a real pleasure. Thank you. Thank you so much. You too. Thank you for the music, Roger. You're so welcome. More to come. Why? Why? If you have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. 